Well, maybe some of you saw this story uh, in the news uh, this week. It, uh, it was on WREL, I know, a couple of different days. Uh, it was a church in uh, Fayetteville that has a campaign for Easter Sunday called Don't Go to Church. The words are blunt, the story goes, and meant to speak or to spark a reaction. The controversial message has been popping up all over Fayetteville, the story says, on newspaper ads, billboards, t-shirts, and online. But the message has a hidden meaning, hidden, hidden meaning, a hidden meaning. <laughs> yeah, and I'm preaching out of Nehemiah 3. You can go there right now and find out that if I'm having trouble reading this, you can, you can see what's going to happen here in just a moment. Their pastor, Jeff Eisenhower, uh, of Aaron Lake Baptist Church said, Church is not a place you go. Church ought to be who we are. Eisenhower says his congregation is trying to reach out to those with no church home. Instead of going to traditional church on Easter Sunday, they're asking people to come to J.P. Riddle Stadium for a non-traditional service. It's a place where they believe that uh, people who don't go to church won't feel out of place, and they've got a website. It's uh, don'tgotochurch.org. And um, it's really fascinating. I went to the website and, uh, and looked at it, and they've done a good job with that. The story goes on to say, every pastor in this town has heard the same reasons for unchurched people, and we're just voicing the reasons we've heard, Eisenhower said. Another Baptist pastor, I like this, who asked not to be identified. <laughs> yeah, who asked not to be identified. Remember what I preached to you last week when we were talking about the people that were ridiculing and scorning Nehemiah? And uh, I told you that uh, if we're not ridiculed and scorned, it's probably because we're not doing what Jesus did because he was ridiculed and scorned. I loved this when I read this this week, and it said, another Baptist pastor who asked not to be identified. I don't want to preach there today, but I'd like to preach there. He said, the message is deceptive and uses a bait-and-switch tactic. The other pastor says it might be misleading to people who go to church and think they're going to something else, but people who don't go to church, I don't think it's misleading. We're not trying to reach church people. We're trying to reach people who don't go to church. And actually, i got to say, I like the creativity of this pastor down in Fayetteville. The Apostle Paul said, I have become all things to all men so that I might win some. And I think that there are creative things, certainly, that we can do Uh, to reach out to people that are yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, I don't think our world needs uh, unidentified other Baptist pastors necessarily to criticize the bait that's in the water in this particular case. He really is just simply stating uh, a truth that people wouldn't typically enter into his service on a Sunday morning. And he's right about at least one thing. Church is not a place you go. Church is who we are. And obviously, if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time, you know that the church compromises all those that have trusted in Jesus Christ alone as their personal Savior. And you understand this, too, that any building that does not have uh, the church inside of it, meaning people inside of it, is simply a building. I grew up with my mom and dad saying, let's go to church. But that building is just a building when we vacate that. This is a public high school during the week. And yet when we're here, this is the church, right? Because we are the church. We don't need a building to be uh, the church. Church is not where we go. The church is who we are. So we can't simply go to church. We're called to 
be the church. And if we are to accomplish the task of impacting our community and this world with the gospel, we all are going to have to work together. Each of us have to be active participants in the mission and not just simply spectators in the stands. British humorist Jerome K. Jerome said this, I like work. It fascinates me. I can sit and look at it for hours. Warren Wiersbe, when he made that point in his, uh, in his commentary in the book of Nehemiah, made this point, that when it comes to the work of the Lord, there's no place for spectators. There's no place for self-appointed advisors or critics, but there's always more room for workers. Nehemiah needed workers. He didn't need spectators, he needed workers. If he was to accomplish the task which God had given him to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild those walls, it would take a spectacular group of people, a large number of people. And today we're going to look back uh, in Nehemiah's memoir to Nehemiah chapter 3. And if you have your Bible, I'd ask you to turn there now. And at first glance, you can read this and you can say, well, I know why he chose this particular chapter on this day. There's a lot of people that are out of town. Of course, we're all the people that didn't have any place to go, right? So we're, we're here. There's a lot of people out of town, and so he decided to speak out of Nehemiah uh, chapter 3. And at first glance, when you look at this particular uh, book, uh, you might assume I've got quite the task today, uh, because number one, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to you about 32 verses And I know you're looking at your watches right now going, I know what it takes to go through two typically. If you're going to go through 32, I can only imagine. And it compromises mostly names, uh, most of which uh, I can't pronounce correctly. In fact, many Bible teachers believe that uh, Nehemiah chapter 3 evidently is fairly insignificant. Even Chuck Swindoll, who I admire greatly, I I listen to a lot of his sermons, I read a lot of his books. In his particular uh, commentary on the book of Nehemiah, it's been out for many years since the early 70s, called Hand Me Another Brick, he totally skips over chapter 3. He goes right from chapter 2 right into chapter 4 and skips chapter 3. Now, I don't want to insinuate that Chuck Swindoll is a heretic at all. He's an incredible scholar and man of the word, but for whatever reason, he became convinced that chapter 3 is not that significant. I believe differently. I really believe that, that God says in his word that all scripture is what? It is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. All scripture. Not just the ones that guys like me say, man, that'll preach. I want to preach that particular text. But all scripture is profitable, and there's a reason for it. And so I want to assume this morning that God has a reason for us uh, to have Nehemiah 3 in our Bibles, and we're going to take just a few moments uh, to go through this particular text. Now, I'm going to do something that I don't typically do because I don't typically preach on 32 verses at one time. If you've been here any length of time, you know that. Uh, But this morning, uh, we're going to make it through all 32 verses, and I'm going to do something that I don't typically do. I'm going to read the whole text to you, just so that you might be impressed with my knowledge of Hebrew names. That's really why I'm doing it. Actually, I'm not. I'm doing it to prove to you a point that it is profitable, that there is a reason why this text uh, is here. And I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to read it to you. I'm not going to do what uh, you'll find uh, later on as we study in the book of Nehemiah, uh, what the prophet will do when he asks the people to stand, and they will stand there literally for hours as he reads to them the law. 
Uh, Get ready for that because that may be coming, but we're not going to do that uh, today. So I figured if I read the whole chapter to you, uh, and somebody this morning told me, when you read a name that you don't know exactly how to pronounce, just read it authoritatively. I learned that very early on after graduating from school, that if there was a word that I came upon, if you speak it very authoritatively, people will just assume that you know what you're talking about. So that's what I'm going to do this morning. Now, because of all of these names in here, I've actually printed, um, I printed it out on a sheet of paper. And um, the one thing that wasn't true when I got out of school is I could read. My eyes could. And I'm getting to the point where I'm going to need reading glasses pretty soon. You're going to show up here on a Sunday morning and you're going to see me with glasses and you're going to wonder what happened to me. Trust me, it should have happened already probably three years ago. And um, uh, I want to make sure that I, get, uh, that I get this text right, so I'm going to read it to you. Okay? Let's read it together. Then Eliashib, I do know that word, that's a, that's, he's the high priest. He arose with his brothers, the priest, and built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They consecrated the wall to the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of Hananel. Next to him, the men of Jericho built, and to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. Now the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and they hung its doors and its bolts and bars. I love this next word, next to them. We've already seen it once. We'll see it several more times. Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hagaz, made repairs. And next to him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshazabal. Meshazabal, I say, (laughs) made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, the son of Bana, also made repairs. Moreover, next to him, the Tekoites made repairs. But their nobles did not support the work of their masters. Have you seen that already five times we've seen in the text? I love that phrase, next to him or next to them. They were side by side working on this task. Look at verse 6. Joida, the son of Paseah, the son of Meshalem, the son of Basodiah, repaired the old gate. They laid its beams and they hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Next to them, Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranathite, the men of Gibbon, and Mezpah also made repairs for the official seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Hena- Haraihai of the goldsmiths, made repairs. And next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, made repairs. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, the official of the half-district of Jerusalem, made repairs. And next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramoth, made repairs opposite his house. And next to him, Hatash, the son of Hash, that guy's name keeps coming up. He had so many sons. Hashabaniah made repairs. Malkijah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pahath, Moab, made repaired another section in the Tower of Furnaces. Again, verse 12, next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, the official of the half district of Jerusalem made repairs. He and his daughters, Hanan and the inhabitants of Zoniah, repaired the valley gate. They built it, they hung its doors with its bolts and its bars, and a thousand cubits of the wall to the refuse gate. There are other uh, translations which say the dung gate. We'll talk about that in just a few moments. Malkijah, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of Beth Hakarim repaired the refuse gate. He built it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. Shalom, the son of Kalhaza, the official of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it. He covered it and hung its doors with its bolts and its bars. 
and the wall of the pool of Shelah at the king's garden, as far as the steps that descend from the city of David. And from him, Nehemiah, not our Nehemiah, a different Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, official of the half-district of Bethzur, made repairs as far as a point opposite the tombs of David, and as far as the artificial pool in the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites carried out the repairs under Rahim, the son of Bani. Next to him, Hashabiah, the official of the half-districts of Kilah, carried out repairs for his district. After him, their brothers carried out repairs under, under Bavai, the son of Henadad, official of the other half of the district of Kalah. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, the official of Mizpah, repaired another section in front of the ascent of the armory at the angle. After him, Baruch, the son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the doorway of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Haggaz, repaired another section from the doorway of Eliashib's house, even as far as the end of his house. After him, the priests, the men of the valley, carried out repairs. After them, Benjamin and Hashab carried out repairs in front of their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Masai, the son, the son of Anani, carried out repairs beside his house. After him, Benui, the son of Hinnadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah as far as the angle and as far as the corner. Palal, the son of Uzziah, made repairs to the front of the angle and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king, which is by the court of the guard. After him, Padai, the son of Parash, made repairs. The temple serving servants living in Ophel made repairs as far as the front of the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. After them, the Tekoites repaired another section in front of the great projecting tower and as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priest carried out repairs, each in front of his house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, carried out repairs in front of his house. And after him, Shemai, the son of Shechaniah, the keeper of the east gate, carried out repairs. And after him, Hanani, the son of Jelamiah, and Hanan, the son of Zalaf, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Barakai, carried out repairs in front of his own quarters. And after him, Melchijah, one of the goldsmiths, carried out repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants in front of the inspection gate and as far as the upper room of the corner. Between the upper room of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants carried out repairs. Are you impressed by that? What an incredible, incredible list of people. There you have it. And that's at least just a partial record of those people that Nehemiah challenged, as we said last week, in chapter 2 and verse 17, that they would go and they would complete this task of rebuilding this wall that had literally been seemingly impossible for over 140 years. And I would submit to you that what may appear several thousand years later to be a rather boring list of names of people's of people whose names we can't really pronounce correctly, is actually quite a remarkable example of what a group of people can do when they are organized well and they work together. You recognize that most churches don't accomplish, I believe, what God wants them to accomplish in their community and around the globe because they refuse to work together. That's why I love, I think it's 12 times they're early in the text that we read next to him or next to them. They labored shoulder by shoulder 
to do what seemingly was an impossible task. And Nehemiah, actually, the chapter is organized quite well. When you look at a map of ancient Jerusalem, you realize that they start at the Sheep Gate, which is in the northeast corner of the city, and they move counterclockwise till they arrived at the Inspection Gate. And the Inspection Gate was literally adjacent to the Sheep Gate. And he names for us ten gates and several towers and other landmarks which appear in this particular text. And I think there's a very good reason why Nehemiah takes the time to list the names of these many people and these groups. I believe, really, that he genuinely appreciated each person who had risen to the challenge that God had given him to go back to Jerusalem and together with these people to rebuild these walls. I believe he really appreciated them. And no doubt, every name is not listed. But that didn't stop Nehemiah from taking the time to at least name some of those names, some of those people who faithfully serve. Let me take just a little detour for just a moment. Because over the years in our church, while we're a young church, there are going to be times when somebody's name is named, when there is appreciation that's shown. And it's very easy for Satan to kind of get a foothold in there with you and say, well, they didn't mention my name. They didn't show appreciation for what I do. Uh, Let me just tell you, just because we don't always name and really can't practically name every single person that serves in a particular body, in a particular group of people, it does not mean that you're not appreciated, number one. Number two, it does not mean that we should not express appreciation to individuals. I hope that you feel that way. I hope that as our church grows and we mature as a body of believers that we'll together appreciate when somebody is publicly appreciated for the work that is done. And I think this is a good reminder of this in this particular text. So I want to take just a few moments here, since I already took 10 minutes to read to you Nehemiah chapter 3. I want to take just a few moments to make a few observations about about these people who worked on the wall and those of us, you and me, who were on the planet about 2,400 years later. I think you're going to see a number of similarities Uh, good and bad, between them and us. So let's quickly go through this list of eight things. Number one, God uses all kinds of people. If there's one thing that this text will show us, it is that God delights in using all kinds of people. There are 38 people that are mentioned. If you don't have anything else to do from now till the time that I finish, you can go through and count. Okay, if you actually know what the name of the person is as opposed to the gate. There are 38 people that are mentioned. There are 42 different people groups that are mentioned. There are priests mentioned. There are men of Jericho mentioned. Those are people actually that came to help rebuild this wall, even though their city was quite a distance from Jerusalem, and they wouldn't be directly impacted positively or negatively by these walls being rebuilt. I think there's a good principle there, by the way. That sometimes we go and we serve and we help people in a different place, even though it does not benefit us personally. That's why we go around the globe. That's why we go to Kenya. That's why we go to East Asia. That's why we have missionaries in Beirut, Lebanon this morning. Because we go to those places, and that represented the men of Jericho. There were union people or guild members. I love the fact that there were city officials. There were women. There were bachelors. Down in verse 23, you might might have missed that. But in verse 23, obviously two men that also worked together. There were temple servants. There were city guards or police officers. There were merchants. 
people that you would say, well, their main motivation would be to make money off of this thing. No, they were on the, on the wall. They were on the ladder with the trowel, with the cement, rebuilding the wall. It really reminds me when we put out the principle that God uses all people. What Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12, a text that many of you are familiar with. He said, for the body is not one member but many. If the foot says, now not the feet down here, the foot's, not these feet. Yeah, it's just kind of one of those complicated things, isn't it, when your last name is foot. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It's not for this reason. Any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. It's not for this reason and any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. I love that. I love that about the church, that we are a diverse group of people and that God uses all kinds of different people. And by the way, before you buy into the idea that when you get to a certain age, you ought to simply just sit back and watch the rest of us work, I think that's really an abomination before the Lord. Don't ever buy into the idea that you get to a certain age and then you sit back and you watch the rest of the people serve. God uses all people. And the best way for God to take you off this planet into your heavenly home is to find you busy about the work of the ministry. That's what God wants us to do because God delights in using all kinds of people. And if this list of names in Nehemiah chapter 3 is a testimony of anything, it's a testimony to that, that God uses all kinds of people. Number two, we find out very quickly because we see that Eliashib, the high priest, and we'll see later on that also other priests that were underneath him were involved, leaders have to set an example. If anybody in the city should have been excited about rebuilding these walls, it should have been the priest. It should have begun with the high priest, and evidently it did. Remember that Nehemiah said that the motivation for rebuilding these walls was so that they would no longer be a reproach to God. And the fact that the high priest Eliashib was involved in manual labor shows us that the work of the wall was a ministry to God. He saw that physical labor as very important. It reminds me of what, again, Paul said just a couple of chapters earlier from what we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, that whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, we do it how? We do it to the glory of God. It can all be done to the glory of God. This reminds me that sometimes we're involved in those tasks which we seemingly think are so insignificant. I was talking to a gentleman this morning that, that said to me, you know, sometimes I find it very difficult getting excited about my job, getting excited about my work. Well, try to get excited about it because no matter what you're doing, whether or not you're working on a wall, whether or not you're working at a, at a nursing home helping people in a hospital, if you're over at IBM or you're at Cisco behind a terminal, whatever it is that you do, you can do it and you can do it for the honor and glory of God. I believe that Eliashib demonstrated that as a high priest getting out there and working with his hands to the glory of God. And what's really sad is that... Um, Later on, we'll find out that Eliashib did not remain faithful. A little later on in our study, we'll find when we get to chapter 13 that he joined the other camp. He went on to the other team. His grandson, in fact, we'll find out, actually 
married a, uh, a daughter of Sanballat. Remember, one of the mockers? And that no doubt influenced him as the high priest. It's a reminder that some of us start out very enthusiastically about the things of God, and somewhere along the line we get tripped up. And don't let that happen uh, to you. For one reason or another, uh, uh, people tend to drop out, or as in the case of Eliashib, he actually became a hindrance to the cause we'll see later on in our study. Number three, families often serve together. Families often serve together. We see that brothers served together as they built the wall. That was probably quite the section of the wall, right, where brothers were serving together, and they were yelling at each other, and, you know, no, no, not that. I told you to get that stone. You know, the other areas where you're working with people who aren't your brothers or your sisters, you're being very kind to them. You understand how that goes, right? So I'm sure in the brother sections, in the family sections, there was a little more activity in those particular sections. I really love verse 12. Look again at verse 12 uh, with me, where it says, uh, if I can find it here, Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, the official of the half-district of Jerusalem, made repairs. Who? He and his daughters. Now, I know some of you women are going, Woo! Yeah! I'm one of those women. I'm one of those women. But you have to understand, back in this culture, that was not something that women typically did. And yet, these ladies went out there with their dad, and they were building with him. Isn't that awesome? You see what Chuck Swindoll missed when he didn't go through chapter 3? What a great principle. We see families working together. This was the mayor, by the way, that was working on the wall. Not with his sons, but with his daughters. I think one of the best things that you can do, moms and dads, one of the best examples that you can be to your kids is to do ministry with them, to work alongside of them. And I say that within the context of the church, in a spiritual sense, but I would also submit to you, just in your home life, one of the greatest things that you can do is work right alongside of your kids. Let them see you working together to accomplish a task. I love that we see that here, and that Nehemiah was careful to point those people out. Number four, Some people who could work will not work. You see, that was true back then, 2,400 years ago, and it's true today as well. Some people who could work will not work. In verse 5, and we won't take the time to go back and read the text again, but you read uh, that uh, the people of Tekoa, the Tekoites, you find in verse 27, we see them again, that they worked. It's interesting to note in verse 5 that who didn't work? The leaders of the Tekoites. They decided that they would not work, but the people did. Uh, There's another sermon there someplace. We won't preach that one today. But some speculate that the reason why the leaders didn't support the work is because the city that they lived in, in the city of Tekoa, um, it was close to uh, uh, where Geshem, the uh, leader of the Arabs, it was close to where his city was, and they feared, he was one of the mockers, if you'll remember, they feared that if they were to help rebuild these walls, that Geshem might retaliate against their city. And that's comforting, isn't it? To know that your leaders were fearful, and the people went out and they said, ah, who cares, we're going to go ahead and we're going to work. You see, some people who could work will not work. They were fully, of cap- fully capable of working, and yet they refused. And that's true of many of us today. We're fully capable. We're still breathing. 
If you're here this morning, you're here and you're in this place. I assume you're breathing right now. You're not dead. You're just not willing to serve. You're unwilling to get involved and to invest in eternal things like people. I don't know what the reason is. I I certainly understand that that's quite possible that some of you came from situations where you got burned in a particular church where you were serving with great zeal and with great enthusiasm and for whatever reason you got burned out, you got turned off and and it's just a testimony to God's grace and his mercy that you're even sitting here this morning. I I appreciate that. It really bothers me that, that we as pastors can do that to people, we as churches can have that effect on individuals in our body. But, but can I tell you, in a, in a loving, kind, but firm way, you got to get over it. At some point, you have to get back into the game. At some point, you have to recognize that God has given you a gift and that you can work. There's a task which you can do, and you've got to get it in it again, and you've got to do it. Some people who could work didn't work. And I don't think it's by mistake that Nehemiah, in that list of people that he chose to include the Tekoites and make that statement about their leaders. Number five, we'll move quickly here. Some people do more work than others. You ever notice that? Some people do more work than others. Maybe you're one of those people that thinks you do more work than others. Maybe you're one of those people that likes to sit back and watch those people who are doing more work than others. But that it's true. If you look at verse 11, verses 19, 21, 24, 27, and 30, all right, you don't have to go back there and check me, but if you look in those particular verses, I've analyzed the text well, you see this word translated into English, another. They did this, and then they went to another place, and they kept working. We've got some of those people in our church that every once in a while I just want to say to them, go home, okay, stop, you've done enough. I'm not going to name them. You know who you are. I'm glad you're here, by the way. We all are, right? We, we, we like that. But some people do more work than others. And by the way, sometimes you can get into the habit of doing more work than others so that other people will notice that you do more work than others. If that's you, God's hand of blessing is not on your life. All right? If you are just serving because you want to serve and you just maybe you have the time to do that, that's a good thing. But we recognize that some people do more work than others. Number six, some people are willing to do undesirable work. Look at verse 14. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, the official of the district of Beth Harakam, repaired the refuse gate. I told you that in some translations, maybe the one you're using this morning, that's translated the dung gate. Okay? It is what you think, all right? Let's just not, let's just not cut, let's just cut to the chase. It is what you think. It's kind of like the the place where you take all of your trash and and they take it outside the city to burn it. That's the place you go. You tell your kid, you know, go take the trash to the dung gate. You know, you don't take the can to the curb, you take it to the dung gate. And there were people that were serving there. There were some people who took the responsibility to work on the dung gate. I can't believe that that was a really popular thing. I know... Uh, Charlie Rogers used to work at Monster.com. I bet that wasn't a real popular search, right? Dung gate. If I could just get a job working at the dung gate. Aren't you glad that there are some people who are willing to do those things which seem undesirable? I, I remember when I was a youth pastor, over the years, there were people who served with me in ministry that were like that. 
they were people who didn't mind serving at the dung gate. And, and when you have a lot of kids in a student ministry, especially in middle school, okay, there are going to be times when literally you feel like you're working at the dung gate. I remember one time in particular, we were going on a, a middle school camp. It was a winter camp. And I remember getting on the bus, and we're kind of traveling along, and we got two or three buses, and, and we're going, and, and you know where the story's going. All of a sudden, one of these little sixth-grade boys after a stop at Taco Bell, yeah, okay, you know where it's going, right? And, of course, me, I don't want to work at the dung gate, right? I mean, the fountain gate, that sounds really good to me. There's a lot of other gates that sound good to me, but not that particular one. I looked to the back of the bus, and, and sure, he had just... Taco Bell was laying there. And I see one of our leaders who was a leader who just was willing to do the undesirable work. I saw him on his hands and knees back there, cleaning it up with his other arm around the kid saying, it's going to be okay. It's all right. It's no big deal. We'll take care of it. And I'm going, uh, get everything, everything okay back there, Peter? Everything's all right, right? Okay, good. I don't want to get in your way. I think, it, yeah, good. And I saw continually that particular man involved in kids' lives like that. I think about some of you, by the way, who will go back and serve uh, in our nursery. It's like being at the dung gate sometimes, right? I mean, there were times when our children were in diapers. In fact, not sometimes, most times, when I didn't want to change my own kids' diapers. I definitely don't want to change your kids' diapers. I don't want to do it. But I'm so thankful that there are people that are willing to do undesirable work. And here's the key to the glory of God. When I looked back and I saw Peter Bonner cleaning that up and and patting that kid on the back and just being real gentle and kind to him, I knew he wasn't doing it for the applause of the middle school kids, right? Oh, there's a servant. No, they were going, gross, I can't believe you touched that. There was no glory in that at all. But let me tell you, that particular day, it sticks in my mind, and it was probably 15 years ago. It sticks in my mind. While those junior high kids might not have taken notice of it, the God of the universe did. He was willing to do an undesirable task. Number seven, some people work harder than others. I'm curious about the word that's used in verse 20 to talk about the work of Barak, not only Did he work on another section? But the text says that he did it. How? He did it zealously. That word in the original language means to burn or to glow. In other words, he he did it with, with incredible energy. He burned. He glowed. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, you do it how? You do it with all your might. Man, if you're one of the people that has been given the incredible responsibility to set up this stage each Sunday morning and break it down and set up that children's ministry area out there and the area of the cafe and those signs and do all of that, do it zealously. I believe that's what Barak did. And because he got such a high from doing it in this particular section, he said, I'm going to go to another section and I'm going to keep doing it. Some people work harder than others. And lastly, and we've, we've kind of alluded to this already, some people will never be recognized this side of heaven. Never be recognized. As I read through this chapter, and I did read through it yesterday, and I read through it uh, just like I did with you, verse by verse. When I read through it, and, 
And I thought, boy, I'm naming these names, and I'm sure if these people were sitting around me, they're going, that's not how you pronounce my name. But I began to think about all the people who had worked on that wall whose names weren't recorded there. But they did it just as zealously. Maybe for many of them, they went and worked on another section. Maybe many of the people that worked there on the dung gate, their names weren't mentioned specifically. Some people will never be recognized this side of heaven. But let me tell you, God knows who you are. God knows what you're doing. And as long as you're doing the work for his glory rather than your own, he takes note of those things. I want to encourage you with that. Now, like Nehemiah, I could make a list of so many people that are part of our church family uh, that are on the wall, so to speak. You're on the wall every single week. Some of you several times a week. People that are working to make our mission, our vision, a reality. People that have a passion to see people come to know and understand who Jesus is and that he, that he loves them and he has a purpose and a plan for their life, both now and for eternity. Let me give you an idea of some of those workers just real quick. Do you know there's about 50 people that work in what we call first impressions? Those are greeters, ushers. They work in the cafe and the welcome center. There are people that come each week to help count the offering. There are people that uh, come and clean our office. Did you know that? We don't pay a dime to get our office cleaned. We have five people that volunteer, and they come there, these ladies, and they serve. And, man, we go into the bathroom. It's all clean. You can imagine what it would be like if it was just a bunch of guys living over there in that office, right? But they come to clean. We've got a person that's just recently volunteered to help on our admin team to kind of Uh, come in and help with some administrative tasks. We've got four people that are working on a new website right now, which we're going to launch in just a a few weeks, saving us thousands and thousands of dollars. There's probably 30 to 50 people that are working on our setup crew that help set all this stuff up, and they help tear it all down. We've got 34 people at least that are involved in leading life groups. We've got 15 people at least that are involved in playing instruments in playing uh, drums or singing or playing a keyboard or a guitar. We've got people that are involved in, in our tech team, people that stand at the back there and they put these slides on the screen, people that are, are, are making sure that sound happens. We've got uh, seven leaders that are with, working with our middle school kids, six leaders that are working with our high school kids, We've got uh, seven volunteers that help with our kids' registration. There are 14 people that work at the Dungate, I mean, in the nursery. They, they volunteer for that. There are 17 volunteers in our preschool, 26 volunteers in our elementary. That's a lot of people. And let me say to you, if you're involved in one of those things, you're making a difference each week in the lives of people. But maybe you've been a spectator. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been watching others carry the boulders. Remember I told you from the valley up to the wall. You've been watching other people climb the wall, climb the ladder. Maybe you're new to Northwest and and you're just anxious to find a place to serve, but you don't know where to serve just yet because you're new. I got great news for you today that's really just going to totally jazz you up for the next week. And that is the good news for you is that we still have needs. Isn't that awesome? The good news for you, we didn't get any claps except mine. The good news for you is that we still have needs. There's still places for you to serve. You're not too late. Isn't that awesome? So good. 
We could use people on our administration team to help with designing. If you've got a skill with graphic design, we could use people on our landscape team to help keep our office looking well. I've been to some of your homes. I know what your yards look like. Some of you shouldn't serve there. Others of you, you should because your yard looks great. You got a green thumb. Your flowers are coming up. Your grass looks awesome. You could serve there. We need people who could drive the truck on Sunday morning to pull the trailer. We actually need some people who could go and buy a truck so that you could actually use your truck to tow our trailer. That would be awesome. We could continue to use help with our setup and teardown. We need more life group uh, leaders. If we had more life group leaders, we could start more life groups right now. We could use an assistant to help manage our life groups. On our worship team, we could use more keyboard players, a drummer. We could use bass players, an electric uh, guitar player. We could use female vocalists. On our tech team, we could use all kinds of people to help with lighting and projection. We could need help with decorating. We need help right now, a person that would come to rehearsal with our band uh, every week and just simply operate the sound, just kind of press buttons that they tell you to press so they didn't have to go running back and forth. In our student ministry, we could still uh, use leaders. By the way, I want to challenge some of you young couples. You could have an incredible influence by right now until God gives you kids by being involved serving our middle school and our high school kids. We could use you right now. Even if you can't work on a Sunday night, we could use you in discipleship relationships. We need help in our children's ministry. We could use help in registration. We're going to split our elementary here uh, in just a few months, and we're going to need a lot more workers. I'm confident that even though there's a ton of people that are out of town that aren't here today, I am confident that there are people here, and you could serve in those areas, and you could serve starting next week. I'll close with this. D.L. Moody said, A great many people have gotten a false idea about the church They've got an idea that the church is a place to rest in, to get into a nicely cushioned pew and contribute to the charities, listen to the minister and do their share to keep the church out of bankruptcy. (laughs) I think that's interesting that D.L. Moody said that so long ago. But that's all they want. The idea of work for them, actual work in the church, never enters into their mind. I'll tell you this, no one person could have ever accomplished the task of rebuilding this wall in 52 days. It took the leadership of Nehemiah, and it took the cooperation of the people to complete that job. And the same thing is true of our mission here at Northwest Community Church. No one person can do the job alone. God has not told me to do the job job alone. In Ephesians 4, he made it very clear that I am to be an equipper of the saints to do the work of the ministry. I'm supposed to show you what to do. I'm supposed to challenge you what to do. I'm supposed to equip you how to do it, and then I'm to unleash you to influence this community and our world for Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you to find your place on the wall, to get involved. You'll see what the big idea is here on the bottom of your notes this morning. If you're always in the chair, it's time to get on the wall. If you're always sitting in the chair, it's time to get off the chair And figuratively speaking, get on that wall. There's a lot of work to do and a lot of things that you can do to help us accomplish that task. Get involved, get out of the chair, get onto the wall, and let's do it for the glory of God. I assure you, you will receive more blessing by serving than ever the blessing that you will be to somebody else. You'll receive it inside. Let's pray. God, thanks for this text. 
And uh, Lord, there's 32 verses of names which uh, I'm sure I totally slaughtered this morning. In fact, depending on my theology today, if I believe that those people are able in heaven to, to hear what I said, I hope I didn't offend them. But God, I'm thankful for those people. I'm thank you for. I, I'm so thankful for our, our 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 leader for Nehemiah, and that he wrote those names down. Thanks that he was a leader that was uh, that was sensitive to people, that he showed appreciation for those that that zealously worked to accomplish the mission which you gave them to do. And God, I pray for those that are here under the sound of my voice this morning, or those that will maybe this week even listen to this podcast. God, I pray for the one, and I thank you for the one that's already off the chair and they're on the wall. God, I thank you for so many of these people that as I look out over this auditorium, I see their faces, and and I am so thankful that I get to stand next to them to do a work that counts for eternity. And I pray, God, that you'll continue to bless them and give them incredible joy as they serve, no matter what gate that's at. I pray that you'll give them great joy. And God, for my friends that are here uh, that I really do care about, and God, they've sat on the chair so long and they've observed other people carrying the boulders and and running up ladders and doing all the work. God, I pray that you'd use your spirit to move them out of the chair and onto the wall so that together we can do something that we could never accomplish on our own. And God, we will do all that we do as we are under the leadership of your Holy Spirit and the guidance of your Holy Spirit in our lives, we will strive to do it not for our glory, not for our own pleasure simply, but for the honor and glory and the pleasure of the heart of God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.